You're listening to the Life Chat Podcast, a project of Illinois Right to Life Action. Hey, pro-lifers, this is Mary-Kate Knorr. I'm executive director of Illinois Right to Life and spokesperson for our legislative advocacy arm, Illinois Right to Life Action. Welcome to Life Chat. So this is our third episode, and we have with us today David Cordero. David is a really good friend. I'm so excited to have him here because I think I think we're going to laugh a lot. <laughs> so David, right. I, and I have like a great intro story, I feel, to like start this whole thing off because David was like the first face in the Illinois pro-life movement that I ever encountered. I was coming out of politics and trying to decide what I was going to do. And Governor Rauner had just passed House Bill 40. And I heard about this rally, uh, I think via like a Facebook event that was happening in Federal Plaza in response to Rauner signing House Bill 40. And I got there and I feel like my first impression of you is the perfect segue into our topic today because I got there and David was leading the rally and I was like, wow, this is surprising. A, he's young and B, he's a guy. And it's been so interesting to me more and more as time goes on to see men who are willing to step up and get involved in pro-life. I respect it a lot because I think the climate that we encounter right now um, is not at all friendly for men who want to speak out about pro-life. But I mean, gosh, David, you've like, you've really done it. I feel like so David, so David, sorry to like get back into my intro. David, uh, is what for a while he was regional coordinator for students for life of America. Uh, now you do graphics, right? What are you doing now? Yeah, I, I work with them. Um, kind of whatever they need. Instagram cool. graphics yeah. here and there. And you have like another full-time job yeah. in addition to, in addition to pro-life work. Yeah. Awesome. So one of the things that I really want to hit on with David today, and there's a couple topics I think we'll touch on, but we really want to talk specifically about men in the pro-life movement. This was actually a request that I got via Instagram to do an episode on how can men get involved in a way that is... Um, you know, really effective? And also how can we negate the argument that we hear from the other side, which is men have no voice in this, uh, in this conversation. So, I mean, first and foremost, David, obviously you are a man, you have been involved in pro-life since middle school, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. how did you initially get involved with pro-life? Well, thanks for having me on. Um, I got involved in seventh grade when my theology teacher approached me and said, David, I want you to run the pro-life group next year. And I said, what's (laughs) (laughs) pro-life? Really? Yeah. Um, And he was like, oh, and kind of walked me through it, talked to me a little bit about it. Uh, I went home later that evening and talked to my parents about it. And my mom was sharing a story with me of how my older brother, Joe, who's 10 years older than me, the doctors had pressured my mom to have an abortion with him because he wouldn't be able to walk. He wouldn't be healthy. Um, and she obviously said no, um, found a new doctor. The doctor that she went to ended up becoming, um, an abortionist at Planned Parenthood, ironically (gasps) enough. Um, and so, you know, growing up, my brother was 10 years older than me. He was my best friend. We would hang out all the time. We still talk. Um, he now is married and has two kids and one on the way. So like, I can't imagine. Is he imagine, healthy or does he have a disability? Well, he was born totally healthy. Yeah. He, um, not only could he walk, he won state and cross country. Are you kidding he, me? He um, is a diplomat serving overseas. He uh, owns his own wow. company. And he's, you know, just a testament to the pro-life movement, yeah. two strong women that say, absolutely not. And so kind of hearing that story, I went back to school the next day, told my theology professor, um, and then stayed involved in high school. I went to a Catholic high school and kind of got involved because one of my friends was involved and then went on the March for Life, made a last minute decision the night before to go on the March for Life. And that's really what opened my eyes to the pro-life movement that, holy cow, there are 500,000 other young people like me out there that are ready and willing to stand up for life. So got involved with that, um, stayed involved all through high school. And then my junior, senior year uh, is when I started getting involved with Iowa Right to Life. Uh, I grew up in Des Moines and then uh, Students for Life of America at the time. So I meant to mention that, that you went to Iowa State yeah. and I went to Iowa. <laughs> 
it's a little rivalry it's okay friends despite yeah. yeah well go cyclones <laughs> uh come next month a couple of weeks when the iowa state game is really yeah dang so, it's early this year it is wow that's exciting anyways um <laughs> Uh, where was I? So I senior year in high school, I ended up uh, going on this trip to Wisconsin with Students for Life of America for the recall election of Governor Scott Walker. Uh, this was 2012-2013, I believe. And that's when I met the crew, the team, and really became passionate for life door knocking, um, talking to people on street corners about why they should reelect Governor Scott Walker. Uh against the, the, he's an incumbent, but against the Democrat who was very pro-abortion at the time. Right. And uh, funny enough, Scott Walker now serves on the Students for Life Action Board, which yeah. is super cool. That's so exciting. <laughs> I saw that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, cool. Did that and then, you know, stayed involved with Students for Life at Iowa State. And yeah. So when you actually joined Students for Life of America as a staffer, I mean, well, and I guess, you know, backing up, even your time as a student, as a college student, did you table it all as a college student? Mm-hmm, we did. And what, were there any times, gosh, I mean, I feel like that's, that's the, the type of interaction that men get the most flack. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just watching today. There's a vice did like a special on a Texas right to life program. Did you see this? Yeah. The Texas yeah. college students yep. in and, high school. You know, it's funny some people on our staff watched it and, and they told me to watch it and I did. And it, it does. Uh, I think the guy maybe tried to be a little unbiased, but he, you know, he still has to throw his side. And when I say the guy, I'm referring to the journalist who did it. He still has to throw his side comments in there about, mm-hmm. you know, they showed live actions video with Anthony Levitino explaining what a, an abortion is and actually going through that whole process. And it's like a cartoon. So it's, graphic ish, but it's still a drawing. Um, and you know, of course, like the journalist that's with vice has to narrate over the video to say like, this isn't actually an accurate portrayal of an abortion. Um, but anyway, point of what I was going to say is that I was surprised to see the number of men who were in that video. And it was something that they talked about in the video was, you know, as, okay, as a man, do you think, why do you think that you have a a voice in this issue at all. Right. Um, well, first and foremost, it's like basic science, basic biology. A girl doesn't get pregnant by herself. Right. Um, coming into the fact of men are oftentimes, you know, they don't have parental rights when the child is in the womb. They don't have uh, a say, really. Culture says, like, it's a woman's body. She has the right to choose. But we can go down that straw man argument all the time of, well, whose body really is it? Right. Uh, and I think it's really important to note that, you know, once you take the man out of the picture, it sets a really bad precedent, not only for the woman, but for society as a whole going forward, because once the man is out of the picture, then he's out for good. You know, right. if you eliminate the man from the moment of conception, which is what the pro-choice movement is saying, how do you expect the man to pay for child support to stay by a woman's side when she has a child, when the child is growing up and in school? You know, how do we expect and want, you know, want to hold men accountable right. if we strip them of their rights right away? I think it's interesting too. You, We hear so much conversation about, you know, gun violence and, the incarceration rate in cities like Chicago. And, you know, I don't know if, I guess I won't say that it's like a widespread acceptance that the removal of the father figure from the family unit has contributed to all of this. I'm not necessarily Mm -hmm. saying that that has created it, but I certainly think that that's made it worse. And in this whole conversation, you know, like you said, I think the fact that we want to remove the man's involvement before the baby's even out of the womb. What does that actually say about where we're at as a society? I was just telling David before we started that I watched a documentary today called The Red Pill. I vehemently recommend it. I mean, if if you consider yourself a feminist, I would encourage you to watch this documentary. I tell people all the time, we need to consider our origins and we need to consider the origins of everything that we uh, that we you know, involve ourselves in. We know this is true about Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood said in the very beginning that they wanted to eradicate the black race. And even if that's not what they say now, what are they doing? They're effectively eradicating the black race. You know, two years ago in New York City, more babies were aborted than born to black families in in the city of New York City. So 
I think that's an example of we have to look at our origins. We have to look at the origins of these movements and these organizations that we actually involve ourselves with. And feminism, there are some concerns there. And so you look at this, uh, this documentary does an incredible job of looking at that and also how men have been impacted by a lot mm-hmm. of this movement. And I think that the, they talk very, very little about abortion in that documentary. I mean, I think it's mentioned maybe twice and it's not even discussed as an, as an example of an area that men don't have a voice, but it should be, mm-hmm. uh, because I think that, you know, like you said, it takes two people to make a baby. Not only that, 50% roughly of the babies that are aborted are likely male babies. Mm-hmm. So again, it goes back to this whole question of, okay, where, you know, when we talk about women's rights, where are the rights of the woman in the womb? And, you know, on the other side of that coin, where are the rights of the men in the womb? Right. And it's not to say either that, the woman's rights, you know, are lesser or that a patriarchal society is a good thing. We're not advocating for that at all. But what we're saying is like, you don't have to put men down for women to succeed. Like, I think Mm -hmm. ultimately for us all to succeed, it takes men to raise women up. It takes women to raise men up. Like we all have to help each other succeed in this end game of the betterment for our society and to do that you know for us to say that the woman has ultimate control over this unique human being that was created by two people a male and a female like I, I think that's wrong. I think that's sexist. I think that's uh, degrading towards humankind. Right. So you were out tabling as a college student. You obviously tabled a lot as a regional coordinator for. Is it regional coordinator? Is that the yeah, right yeah, title? Yeah. yeah. So you yeah. obviously were out tabling a lot as a regional coordinator with students. Is there any argument? that you immediately went to when people said to you, well, you don't really get to have a voice in this. Like, why are you here? In other words? Yeah. Um, and I, well, I think it's important to kind of read the room whenever you're tabling, like read the situation yeah. that you're in and, um, just be conscious of who you're talking to. You know, if it's a guy, obviously your response is going to be different than it's if a woman. Um, and while we're out on campus, uh, you, you have to approach them with love first, love and compassion, totally. um, treat them as a human being. Uh, obviously my specialty is sarcasm and snark. So I would use that, <laughs> you know, every now and then, but, um, the most vivid memory that I have was when I was at central college in Pella, Iowa. So I worked with students in Illinois and Iowa and this young woman came up to me and she, she was just guns blazing, very angry that we were out there. This display had 6,200 baby socks, which is the number of abortions that Planned Parenthood did in yeah. one well, business week. Well, that actually is infuriating. Sorry, yeah, yeah, I'm not yeah. trying to be oh, no, sarcastic. Totally. But yeah. socks are infuriating. Oh, just they really get you. <laughs> <laughs> but we were out there and, you know, here I am with this group of mine and the leadership in this group all female. Mm. So here I am, the only man here. And this girl comes up to me and she says, you're a man, you can't have an opinion. And, you know, this whole idea of gender fluidity, but women's rights simultaneously coexisting has just left a lot of questions in my brain because, you know, why are we so getting bogged down with identity politics and this and that? Why can't we just respect and, you know, appreciate people for who they are? But, I looked back at this young woman and I said, that's a wild assumption that you just made, you know, referring to (laughs) me being a man and her face shook. She, you know, was like visibly taken aback that I said that that one. Like, cause I'm, you know, woke, you know, whatever they say. (laughs) And so she, she goes, Oh my gosh. And her whole demeanor changed. She's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. How do you identify? And I responded with, no, I fully identify as a man, but now do you see how your statement, how my um, sex really doesn't matter in this conversation? Mm -hmm. And let's get back to the topic at hand. If I could add to that, you know, so SB 25, this bill that just passed in Illinois, Mm -hmm. 
if, you know, for those of you listening, if you were paying attention at all during the spring when we were fighting this bill, it's the Reproductive Health Care Act, but it was House Bill 2495 is the way we referred to it a lot when we were talking about it prior to its passage over Memorial Day weekend. It actually says in the law, it changes the word woman to individual all throughout the abortion law in the state of Illinois. So the beginning of the law, it provides that an individual has a right to an abortion. So, you know, it is so funny how they play both sides of this argument because apparently in Illinois now, anyone can get an abortion, not just a woman, um, or rather anyone has a right to an abortion, not just a woman. But for men who identify as men and have an opinion, they're not, they're, they're actually not allowed to have one. You actually can't have an opinion. I mean, the hypocrisy I think is, it's overwhelming to me. Right. And totally. And I get that. And you know, I'm a more, I'm a little more liberal than most of the pro-lifers were. I do believe that like sex is different than gender and like, you know, there's the male and female sex and then gender is how you identify. Mm -hmm there has to be a point there's somewhere where you have to draw a line, right? Like there has to be a point where you can't say, you know, men and women can have abortions just like you said, but right. men have no say. So right. if now you're saying men can get abortions, right. but you can't have a say in it, well then who ultimately has a say? The woman, the woman, like, right. are you pregnant? I don't know. Right. Like do women, do women get men pregnant now? I don't know. Like, <laughs> you know, like, but does she have to say, world, like apparently. do her rights? And it's just all these sorts That's of an questions. Question. Right. It's all these sorts of questions that once you start, not necessarily changing the definitions, but like opening up this Pandora's box of questions, what's the outcome going to be? You know, and I think the, the thing I would add to that and, you know, add to just this conversation in general is that I think that as pro-lifers, we allow ourselves to immediately be put on the defense when we hear things like that. My attitude is double down. There's no reason why anyone who says that a man can't have a voice on this issue should there's no reason why that should actually mean anything to us for anyone to accuse us of doing something that I don't know is unethical by allowing men to partake in this conversation don't entertain it for a second I mean I think that we have to be confident and be courageous in that we don't actually have to give their arguments any credence mm -hmm. you know I think um Dan Proft said something so great that I love that I repeat all the time and it's that don't let the left convince you that people don't change their mind because people change their mind all the time. And I think that that goes for anything. Don't let the left convince you of anything, quite frankly, because a lot of what they say is based on exactly that. It's based on making us feel a certain way, making us question ourselves. And the reality is such that we, we know what the truth is. We know that it takes a man to make a baby. We know that these children in the womb are children. And you know, that's another thing that I feel like even me in this job, I had to come around to that to actually getting, getting back to the point, because this is what they do. They, they try to distract from the point. What's the point? The point is that child in the womb is a child. It's exactly that. It's a human being. It's not a clump of cells. And we allow ourselves to be distracted. We are, we allow ourselves to be taken off on these tangents about whether or not men can have a voice on this issue, whether or not, uh, rape and incest are, you know, an exceptional scenario. We allow ourselves to be taken off in all these other directions and we completely lose the point which is that is a human life and it doesn't actually matter preach yeah like it's exactly like the means of conception and this kind of goes back to the whole the rape and incest argument which yes that's very serious it's also less than three percent of all cases of abortion mm -hmm. nationwide it's a distraction from the actual topic that this thing, we'll call it a thing, the zygote, mm -hmm. the embryo, whatever you want to call it, is a human being in the womb. And it's, you know, okay, so they're trying to distract us on the 3%. Fine, that has value. Let's get back to the 97%. Totally. They know that they're in the wrong on that 97%. So really all you have to convince them on is this you know, marginal with this marginal thing, whether it's that you're a man and you can't have a say that it's rape and incest, it's whatever it is. Uh, it's totally the just a distraction. The vast majority of abortions are performed on in pregnancies where the sex was consensual, the right. vast majority and consensual between two adult people. Like this isn't, we, we have to stop letting them 
make us feel like that is the rare portion. It's not the rare portion. It's the vast majority. Right. Um, and, and even, you know, it, to be honest again, like that, see, we get off in the weeds. That doesn't even matter. What matters is that this is a human child. It is a human being. Stephanie Gray makes such a great argument on this. She says, um, who, what species are the parents of a fetus? They're, they're human. Right. So when we're talking about a dog, when we're talking about a puppy inside of a dog, mm-hmm. you know, like in the womb of a dog, the, the parents of a puppy, of an unborn puppy, are two dogs. Right. Am I wrong? Like, it's, it's so basic. Like so there's do- no, no question. When you talk about animal rights activists, there's no question of what that is. Well, and I don't you love just feel that so post. stupid sitting here talking about it? Like, here we are yep. in downtown Chicago in, like, this mecca of, you know, wealth and, you know, intelligence. Education, and here we are yeah. talking about... Oh, it's a dog. Right. It's a hu- like, <laughs> and I mean, that's, and you know, that's so funny that you say that too. And this is, you know, again, a total tangent, but it's just remarkable to me the way when you go to like university of Chicago and some of these other places, it's remarkable how pro-lifers are treated. Like we are just pure stupid. Right. And th- I think the term I was called, you know, the name I was called when I was at university of Chicago was someone actually looked me in the face and said, you're a white supremacist. And I'm still trying to figure that one out, how that fits with what, because you we disagree with about. them and so they're throwing out I curse guess so. words and it's buzzwords. Just whatever. Well, and I so I was listening to another podcast that I love explicitly pro life with Kristen Hawkins and she in this podcast was stating that you know abortion and contraception obviously go hand in hand. Uh, contraception started abortion, abortion started contraception because without one there would be no, there wouldn't be the other, you amen, know. Amen. And um 9% of uh, hormonal birth control fails, 18% of condoms fail. Like where's the where's the disconnect here? Totally. Like if you're having sex, like one of the things that she said in the podcast was if you're having sex with someone, could you see yourself raising a child with that person? Totally. And if not then what the hell are you doing? You know, you know, how have we become so weak to the point that we have to, we have to give literally our whole entire self to someone right? because we, we can't, this is, we give into it. Something that I don't think we can emphasize enough. And I think that, you know, we've been saying it for years and I think it still shocks people to hear it. Contraceptives, specifically the pill and hormonal birth control, artificial hormonal birth control, anything that has a high human error rate, which essentially what that means is that human beings are inevitably going to mess it up. The pill, you forget to take it. You, you, you know, didn't, don't take it on the right day, the right pill on the right day. I mean, whatever, like it has a high human error rate. It's going to, you're going to mess it up. And Planned Parenthood knows this and they use it as an, uh, an opportunity creator. It's like any other business. They're looking for leads and this is how they create leads in the abortion business. Mm-hmm. They give young girls birth control. I think the, the statistics on the, on the number of teenage girls who get pregnant within the first year that they're on birth control is like 16% or something. Like it's pretty high when you consider what birth control is actually supposed to do, right. which is keep you from getting pregnant. But they know that that's not what it does. It creates an opportunity. And then when they've already given you this free birth control and then you get pregnant, where are you going to go when you need resources? Right. You're going to go back to Planned Parenthood and that's exactly what they want. And this is something that I think in the pro-life community, we could do better at addressing this issue. Mm-hmm. We, you know, the problem doesn't begin when the girl is pregnant and, and is seeking an abortion. The problem began way before that when she... A was either trying to get on birth control in the first place or B started having sex when she was clearly wasn't prepared for what that inevitably meant for her life. Right. So what, I mean, you know, I just, we've, we've got to do better. We've got to do better. Right. And again, I think it goes, comes back to the conversation about men because you know what, if we were engaging young men on this issue, if we were engaging them and telling them, look, not only do you have a voice here, you also have a responsibility to the women in your life. You have a responsibility to any future child that you might help conceive to make better choices than this. And I think that if we were actually teaching young men about these things, maybe we would see a different Maybe we would see a different outcome. I don't know. Yeah, well, and today I saw a post on Instagram that says, why does every woman know another woman that was raped, but no man knows a rapist? And so, like, let's think about that and relate that to abortion. Like, we all know a woman that's on birth control. We all know a woman that's had an abortion. 
We don't know who the man is. We don't know who the guys that got her pregnant. Why? Because we're not holding the men accountable in the same sense that like, you know, men can't have an opinion we're letting men get off on this like women like if you want you know if you want to know and hold men accountable for sex crimes and all these terrible things you have to hold them accountable from day one yeah Uh, it's it's staggering how like these two go hand in hand like men you have the greatest world in front of you right now and it's absolutely terrifying what you can do with it right you know and i think what you're saying is a really good point i think that we see two different versions of this same issue going on with men. I think on the one hand, we have men who want to speak out about this and we've allowed culture to make them feel like they have no voice and they can't. And then I think on the opposite end of the spectrum, we have also created a culture of men who actively choose not to engage on issues like this one because they've been conditioned to believe that they don't have a voice. So, you know, I think I have friends on both ends of the spectrum. I mean, I think you and I both know guys probably in our overlapping circles of friends who Mm -hmm. are extremely pro-life, maybe in the right environment, they would speak out about that. But if they were in public and it, you know, became a conversation with a group of women who didn't agree with them, they'd probably not speak out about that. But Mm -hmm. I think, you know, on the other side of the spectrum, I know that I have friends who know what I do for a living. I see them regularly. I think they respect what I do for a living. I think that they respect the pro-life movement. But to be honest, I think they prefer peace with women over the controversy of arguing for pro-life. And so they just choose not to even allow themselves to form an opinion. Totally. On it. That's exactly, that's almost a word for word, a quote from uh, Martin Luther King when he was in Birmingham County jail. And these white pastors came forward to him and said, we prefer a, a negative piece. Um, or he said, he said, we prefer a negative piece, which is the absence of justice. Yeah. And, you know, like, sure okay yes you're not creating controversy but you didn't create the controversy to begin with the controversy is the issue of abortion so men are you going to rise up to the occasion and take a stand on this issue who cares like honestly what's in your pants like who cares like (laughs) it's crass but like really that's what it comes down to why why does that suddenly matter what your brain says you know and it shouldn't right and as if you're walking down the street on Michigan Avenue or um, State Street and you see the women uh, in the Planned Parenthood pink, ask them a question because nine times out of 10, they're like rent-a-cops. They're like those people that, you know, like they pay for their protesters, you know, they don't know a thing. And so you have a conversation with them and you can have the possibility to change a heart and mind right there. Yeah. Uh, And we're just missing all of these crucially important opportunities because someone told us someone probably didn't tell us they yelled it in our face honestly because we're a man and we suddenly can't have an opinion on anything that relates to women yeah you know and I also think it's interesting too we're in such a moment in cultural and societal history right now that there is this movement like the Jordan Peterson effect you know Mm -hmm. there's this movement that I think is speaking to the hearts of men that is demanding that they stand up and get it together and start leading which I think is really I believe is at the core of every man's heart you know to lead to protect to provide and I think that in a certain sense and this is where again this is where I get critical of the feminist movement is that I feel like we've robbed that of men in a certain sense topic for another day for sure (laughs) totally Uh, but yeah I mean gosh I you know if people if people get upset about men talking about this people get upset about a woman who doesn't like feminism but uh, I think yeah I think um in terms of this is a perfect opportunity for those men to stand up. You know, I think it, it also, I think would empower women in a way that we haven't seen before, because you know what it would take, honestly, for men to be genuinely pro-life. I think it would take them actually stopping and thinking a little bit about this, like casual sex culture that we've created and think about their role in that and think about, you know, what they have to do to live in a, in a life affirming way. How do I live as not me specifically, but like 
men, you know, in their late 20s, 30s, specifically single men. How do I live in a pro-life, life-affirming way? I think that's a convicting question. And I think maybe that's maybe that's another reason that some men avoid this issue. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, that's exactly why we have to have this conversation is I think that 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 could change the culture in and of itself is if men decided, you know what, I I actually am pro-life. I think that 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 fertilized egg in the woman's womb is a human being. And what does that mean for me? That means that if I'm going out and having casual sex and a baby results in that choice, I'm responsible for that life now. I think that would make men think a little bit harder about the choices that they make. And I think we would see a little bit of a cultural shift. And I think that women would respond positively to that because women want to be led. Like, don't, you know, again, sorry, I won't beat this feminism drum anymore. I promise. But don't, women want to be led by men. And I think a lot of the issues that we've seen are a result of men failing to lead and women grasping at some security. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think abortion in a lot of ways is maybe a product of that. You know, when you say lead, it's, you know, a man taking a woman's hand and pulling her along. And that's not at all what you're talking about when you say you want a man to lead a woman. It's like, no, the man just has to be there for moral support and up be be an upstanding guy, someone that the woman can look to and turn to and fall upon when when she hasn't uh, you know when yep. something goes wrong when she needs something when she gets pregnant who knows I, I'm an architect I work 40 hours a week in the loop designing mm-hmm. buildings and um, previously I was at Students for Life like we said and my hesitation leaving um, leaving architecture the architecture world was my own selfishness like will people like me will i have friends like will i be that Mm -hmm. pro-life weirdo you know on the corner the millennial pro-life movement is so different than our mom and dad's pro-life movement totally different we're different people we have different ways of communicating we have different ways of doing things and i think men it's important for you um to get over your ego of i i can't do this because i'm going to be seen as weird well guess what like I have friends, I drink beer, I work in the city, you know, like you can do it. And yes, it's yeah. really scary and intimidating, but no one's killed me. You know, I, I'm still here. Um, and honestly, like, it's like ripping off a bandaid. Once you do it the first time, once you rip off the bandaid, it, it becomes so much easier and then it becomes fun. It becomes something you want to do. You aspire to do to like take little drop cards and leave them on the bus to write messages and chalk outside. If you're a student or if you're not a student, do it too, to have these open conversations with your coworkers about the life issue. You know, when the, when the whole, um, abortion bill passed here in Illinois, I was standing in in our kitchen at the office reading about it. And someone came up to me and goes, oh, isn't that just the craziest thing or something? And I was like, yeah, I, I there's been a lot of abortion talk lately. And they go, I'm sure you really like the news. And I was like, actually, no, I, I hate it. And they're like, oh, that's cool too. You know, like people don't really care. Yeah. Um, the people that care are the ones that are going to be screaming at you. And you know what, if you lose a friend, so be it. Do you really want to hang out with someone that, you know, doesn't yeah. share similar values as you? Like it's, it's a perfect time to evangelize for Christians, for Catholics. Like it's a perfect time for you to evangelize to the faith, to evangelize to the movement, um, to share our story, to share who we are. And also to change the perception that, you know, pro-lifers aren't weird. We can be cool people. You know, (laughs) we're not the, we're not the pocket protectors pants up to our belly button people, you know, like, you know, like these Uber, I mean, I am Uber Christian. I'm Uber Catholic, but like, and Mary Kate and I are obviously so cool. (laughs) You know, we're here talking about like how you can be cool, but like, I don't know. Are we? (laughs) People are, who are listening to this right now are thinking we're crazy. Well, (laughs) Well, you know, and I would add to that too. Like, it's interesting to hear a man say, that, you know, the challenge is it's really ripping it off a bandaid. I think for women, it's kind of the same thing, you know, because if, 
okay, if you're a man talking about pro-life, the message from the other side is you're speaking outside of turn. If you're a woman talking about pro-life, the message from the other side is you're a traitor. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what's worse, you know, right. I think, and, and I say this and I admit it because I think it's important for people to recognize that I'm not any different than anybody else in that there were moments in the beginning that it was hard for me to get up and go out and talk about being pro-life. And I was employed by Illinois right to life. You know, I think it has been the most amazing experience over the last year and a half that I've been in this job to see people in my own life coming out of the woodwork to tell me that they're pro-life and to tell me why. Mm -hmm. And it's people I never would have expected. It's people who actually have personal stories to tell about, you know, you know, I got pregnant before I was married and this made me pro-life or someone said this to me and this made me pro-life. And it's people who never would have said anything, I think, if not for having seen me on social media. And I'm not using myself as, you know, I also think I've not been perfect. I think that I've missed opportunities to speak out. And I think this is something that I'm still, that I still struggle with in a lot of ways, because like you said, it's hard in your personal life to bring this issue up knowing how contentious it is. And Mm -hmm. I think that especially for people like you and me, where we have a personal investment in this is my job at one time, this was your job. It's not now, but I know you're still personally invested. It's, it makes it so much more personal that it's that much easier to get angry and to respond poorly to people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we want to be compassionate. We want to listen. We want to empathize with the other person in these conversations, but that's hard. Like that is, it it takes genuine grace, I think, to, to find that place that you can have a peaceful conversation with someone about this issue. Well, and it's somewhere it's starting small. So it's educating yourself. It's listening to these podcasts. Um, it's posting something on social media where you can hide behind your keyboard too. Um, you know, in high school and in middle school, I would post pro-life stuff on Facebook all the time. Um, and fast forward to college, I, I'll say her name because she, she told me I could share this story. Her name is Rebecca. I met her in middle school and her and I were never super close. We were never best friends. We never hung out out together outside of this like little percussion group that we were in. And she reached out to me. Cute. Two, yeah, <laughs> so cute. Um, reached out to me two years later saying, hey, David, I just wanted to let you know that I'm pregnant now and I'm, I'm eight months pregnant and I decided to keep my baby because of the Facebook posts that I saw on your page. Wow, and she said, David. I never thought anything of it. I never thought I would be the person that ended up pregnant. I you know, just remember reading them and passing. And Mm -hmm. ultimately it led me to keep my child. Right. And, you know, moving on a couple years later into college, one of my friends um, that I went to high school with got pregnant and she knew my mom worked at this pregnancy resource center in Des Moines. And so that was the first place she went that she went pregnant because, or when she got pregnant, because that's what she knew. So it's talking about our pregnancy help centers, putting the bumper sticker on your car, putting the sticker on your laptop. It's putting something on Facebook, uh, no matter how small or big it is. Um, but kind of, you know, just being a visible sign for life, even if nothing comes out of your mouth and ultimately you will have the courage, you will have the opportunity, um, to talk about these things. And it's okay to say, I don't know, and Google things. And it's okay to learn together and grow together with the person that's almost more genuine than knowing everything. But it's, it's a learning process. It's a growing process. And, you know, don't let these distractions take you away from that. Yeah. Something I'm super convicted about right now, and this has been my primary message the last few weeks, and I think it's something I'll carry into 2020, is now more than ever as pro-lifers, we need to start finding ways to initiate conversations about abortion in our daily lives. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking with family members, with friends, with people at the grocery store. Like I know that sounds absolutely insane because it wasn't that long ago. You never would have heard this talked about on a presidential debate stage. You never would have heard this mentioned on the radio or in the news because it was, no one wanted to talk about it. But isn't it absolutely insane that we rip a child from its mother's womb? It is insane. Like what's more insane? It, it, it is genuinely insane. And you know what? I'm so glad you said that because recently I was speaking at Waterleaf out in, um, water. Okay. If you don't know Waterleaf, they're out in, 
uh, Aurora. Aurora, thank you. They're out in Aurora. They're building a brand new, gorgeous facility right next to that giant Planned Parenthood out there. It's amazing. They're going to have a perpetual adoration chapel that's literally pointing at the facility. It's incredible. David, you should go tour it. It's awesome. Yeah. And um, they're so awesome. So they, uh, yeah, Anne Marie Cronin is the executive director out there, and they're just so incredible. I love them. I can't say enough good things about them. But so I was out with them at their current office uh, two or three weeks ago, talking to their staff, just kind of giving them an update on the legislation that just passed. And when you actually read this legislation, I mean, episode one of our podcast feels like such a dry 45 minutes, <laughs> genuinely, but it's such important information. When you actually read what's in this bill, it is so, it just goes against all common sense. It's so clearly uh, evil. It's just like pure evil. And one of the women that works for Waterleaf in this meeting, she raised her hand and she said, I just want to understand why they did this. Like, I just want to understand what the reason is. And it's so funny because I consider myself a realist. When I started this job, that was where I was at. I felt like, okay, it's not going to be that easy to pin, you know, to put the crazy pin on the abortion side of this argument, because there has to be a reason when you get into the weeds on this stuff, you realize there is no reason. It's genuinely evil. It's there. It's just, it's pure murder. Like, you know, this, this vice, uh, this vice video, this clip from the Texas right to life camp over the summer that I was talking about earlier. It's amazing to me how they just justify, 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 justify the pro-choice side and, you know, the media and all these other things without any evidence without any reason for doing so. And they just continuously go on and on and on and on about how it's not a life. It's not a life. It is absolutely a life. It looks like a life. It looks like a baby. I mean, you know, even like in those very, very early weeks when it doesn't look like a baby or when we can't see it, it's still a life, right? The parents are still both of the human species. So what is it like a monkey until it's, it's, that's ridiculous. It's a human life. we know it's a human that should be enough. It should be. And the fact is it's not Beto just, you know, made that comment a couple of days ago at at that campaign event about, um, some kid, if you weren't watching, some kid asked him, I was born on September 8th on September 7th. Did my life have no value? And of course, Beto said, well, no, your life had value, but that was your mother's choice. So in other words, he said, no, your life had no value. Your value is, uh, your value is in the hands of your, your mother. Yeah. Right. And it, it, it's just, we, that's really where we're at. We are in a place that, and in a certain sense, we have to acknowledge, this is where I say, like, it's such a deeply spiritual battle. We have to acknowledge that the science argument isn't working the way we want it to anymore because they don't care. Right. Well, and talking about Beto or Beto or whatever his name is, um, <laughs> I don't know. I've heard it like 17 different ways now at this point. And who is he really? Like he kind of, he, oh, he's, he lost, he lost last and now he's back. Yeah. And like, honestly, he would be a really easy target for us to be. But um, I don't think we can have this podcast without talking about um, Title 10. And yeah, President Trump just um, stripping Planned Parenthood and all abortion vendors of Title 10. And it's this crazy thing where... They wouldn't have you believe that he stripped them of that, though. They'd have you believe that they abandoned it. Right. And they're essentially creating a PR crisis of something that they created themselves. Right. Like, the guidelines, the Health and Human Services Secretary said, if you perform abortions, you don't receive money. And now Planned Parenthood is saying that all of this money, you know, we don't have it. Women aren't going to get health care. And that's false. Like $60 million isn't just poof going away. It's being redistributed into pro-life, life-affirming pregnancy resource centers, federally qualified health centers, um, all of these places that provide almost the same services as Planned Parenthood except right. abortion. Right. Um, they still even do birth control. If you're one of the pro-lifers that, you know, is for birth control and uh, against abortion, like, we want you on our camp too, mm-hmm. you know, for now. Um, <laughs> we can we can worry about the <laughs> other oh things gosh. down the road. Like, we can talk about all those other things later. But, like, elections matter because elections isn't just Donald Trump. Elections are who follows after. Elections are all the people he appoints, she appoints uh, for all of these positions. Mm -hmm. It's policy. Elections are policy. And I think that's super important. Um, And one other thing I just want to plug is findahealthcenter.hrsa.gov. That's where you can find 
the over 8,000 federally qualified health centers, which outnumber Planned Parenthood's 20 to 1. So find a healthcenter.hrsa.gov. Like, seriously, put that everywhere. Yeah. Put it on a billboard. Like, t- this is where we can, like Mary Kay was saying earlier, a few minutes ago, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your coworkers about being pro-life. And maybe this is an easy way. Like, oh, I'm looking for a doctor. Like, here's a website to yeah. go to find a health center. Have it- you heard my, st- my Jennifer Welch story about this? No, I don't think so. Okay. I love telling this story. It's so satisfying. So uh, Jennifer Welch is the CEO of Planned Parenthood of Illinois. And Welch, Welch, I don't know. Welch, I don't don't know know how you say it, whatever. W-E-L-C-H. It doesn't matter, right? Yeah, no. (laughs) Doesn't matter. (laughs) Beto, Beto, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're bad people. Um, She, uh, so she spoke at the Union League Club. Gosh, it had to have been a year ago because it was a year ago that Trump first announced Title 10. It's pretty remarkable. They jumped on that like instantaneously. Um, So she spoke at the Union League Club and the title of her talk was Debunking Myths About Planned Parenthood. Uh, One of our board members invited me to go. And so I showed up with, you know, equipped Regina, our communications director, is like so good at preparing me for this stuff. So she had, you know, all the stats we needed, um, written out for me. And I showed up at this event and it was, gosh, I think there were 25 people in the room. It was perfect. And basically Jennifer Welch got up there. She puts up, you know, these PowerPoints about debunking myths, but then as it turned out, the entire presentation was actually defending title 10 and why they should be able to keep that money and why president Trump is wrong and a bigot for, um, you know, taking that money away from them. So at the end she had time for questions. So I raised my hand and I talked about FQHCs and I said, so she, they showed a map. She showed a map of all the Planned Parenthoods in the state. And I said, if you could, I'd like you to pull that map back up because if you look and I, I wish like I should link, I wish we could, we had a map that I could show like a graphic or something, but all of the, the vast majority, so there are 18 Planned Parenthoods in the state of Illinois. The vast majority are in Chicago, in the in Cook County in general. Um, there's a few in other, like around the other urban areas in the state. So I think there's one in Peoria. I think there's one in the Quad Cities. I think there's one down in either Springfield or Champaign, maybe. Um, they're all in urban areas, which like, let's identify the real underserved communities right here. Now it's rural communities. Rural communities are always underserved when it comes to healthcare. So, uh, that's the first and foremost thing that I pointed out to her. And then I pointed out to her that there are almost 400 federally qualified healthcare providers who do everything that Planned Parenthood does in the state. Seriously, if you're a pro-lifer and you want the, want these stats, write this stuff down because this, like you can't win against this argument. There are almost 400 federally qualified healthcare providers, FQHCs. And FQHC is a healthcare provider that does everything Planned Parenthood does, plus 23% more services minus abortions. So, I mean, it's true. Some FQHCs are like a general practitioner or just like a, a, a general medical clinic, but what does it matter? They can, you can get the exact same services there. And they also, you know, use the same state funds. So you can use Medicaid, Title 10 funds um, in a lot of instances. So FQHCs, it, they're completely, um, not only are they totally accessible, uh, overwhelming, you know, like David said, the ratio, I think, I think actually in Illinois, the ratio is like 23 to one. Um, and uh, we're talking about, you know, this is in comparison to 18 Planned Parenthoods. 18. Yeah. Relative to almost 400 federally qualified healthcare providers. I mean, we could go on and on for this, but anyway, so I said all this to Jennifer Welch, dear in headlights. She had nothing. She directed me to her person in the back. Right. Because Um, they have nothing to say. It's all, it's all just hypocrisy almost. It's, it's nothing. (laughs) It's crazy. It's 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 absolutely crazy. And so this is funny. David just handed me a graphic from Charlotte Lozier Institute. It actually looks like there's 540 federally qualified healthcare providers. Is that right? right? Yeah. 500. This was, uh, I think 2015 statistics. So the number may have fluctuated, but 540 to the 18 Planned Parenthoods in the state of Illinois. So that's uh, nationally, that's 13 to one, um, according to their statistics. But, um, you know, that's, that's a lot of math. So, so, you know, it just goes back to don't, don't believe that your the argument has to stop when when they have a good 
when you think they have a good point. I mean, like, here's the thing. I go back to this time and time again. Truth is on our side. If you seek it out, you will find that we have the winning issue in every single way, every angle. We have the winning issue. I mean, there's no arguing 18 to 520 that you can't even compare. Right. Um, now, and let's be clear, not that any of these Planned Parenthoods are going to be out of business tomorrow because they lost title 10 funding because they're not. So Jennifer Wells, for her to act this way, I mean, she's been on this PR tour the last few weeks. So we're like on such a tangent away from the men's healthcare stuff, or I mean, men, men's voice in this issue. But anyway, it's just, it's remarkable to me. I think bring, we can bring it all back, like bringing it all back to the conversation about men being involved in this issue. Men arm yourself with facts. There's no, like, there's no reason why you can't use this federally qualified healthcare argument. And it has nothing to do with you personally being a woman. It's just facts, right? Arm yourself with the facts and then don't be afraid to speak up. Even when someone tells you that you can't. 50% of aborted babies are males. Right. Well, and here's the other thing. Who else is going to spend 30, 45 minutes, however long this podcast has been going, armoring themselves with facts about abortion, especially if you're a guy like no one does that. So automatically you have the one up on this person because you have at least 40 minutes of education on your side. Now, is this educational or is this fun? I don't know. You tell me like, but I know some of this, I'm like, maybe we should cut half of this out. No, I'm just kidding. We're actually at 52 minutes now. Oh God, are we really? Wow. Go us. Um, but you know, no one else, this is what I would tell my students when I was at students for life. Like no one else has spent this time investing and educating themselves on the issue of abortion like Mm. you have. And so first of all, kudos to you. That's amazing. Second, of all get your butt out there like be talking about it you have no excuse you are equipped and you will find that once you have these conversations you will you will know the facts um there are amazing resources out there equal rights institute justice for all like stephanie gray like even googling pro-life youtube i mean there's just a ton of things that come up i learned so much just from watching wyla rose debate on youtube yeah honestly she's amazing Uh, i think it's important to armor yourself with facts and equip yourself so that you can go out and talk about these things because you know who cares if you're a guy like you you should have a say you can have a say yep so i actually originally had asked david to come on the podcast to talk about like the generational breakdowns but then i had this thought today like actually we should definitely talk about men in the movement so maybe we can do a different episode another day about generational stuff but (laughs) because that's certainly a conversation too but Anyway, so all of that said, um, thanks, David. Thanks for coming on and having this fun talk with me. Um, I hope that people were able to take something from this. And again, you know, you can always, if you want to reach out to us or if you're looking for more resources, our website's IllinoisRightToLife.org. Do you have a website you want to plug? Uh, StudentsForLife.org is great, especially if you're a student or young adult looking to get involved. It's a great way to get involved on campus um, or in your community. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks, David. Thanks, everybody.